Blog Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hello everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow us on the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world, and we're happy to say we are translated to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we also have Sacred Sundays every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Thank you. Okay, during the show, I can take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your question and speak with our special guest tonight. Any buzz killers and chatter on the phone will be blocked and kicked out. And I ask you to please be polite and play nice tonight. And I have a bunch of announcements. Let's see if we can get through this. Um, October 26th, that's Sunday, uh, the Serial Support Group will be meeting in the Burbank location. So if you make it, we'd really be happy to see you there. And then coming up on November 5th for a special uh, pre-conference, and November 7th through 9th, uh, there's going to be the Skyfire Summit. And the address for that is www.skyfiresummit.com. And this, it's going to be a yearly event uh, celebrating the anniversary of Travis Walton's uh, abduction. And uh, we have several speakers, including one of our guests, for our guests tonight, Travis Walton, Peter Robbins, Richard Dolan, Stanton Friedman, uh, Kathleen Martin, Ben Hansen, Linda Mountain Howe, I, I think I had it right the first time, Christopher O'Brien, Tom Reed, dang, uh, Donald uh, Smith, Tracy Torme, which is awesome. Phew, anyway. Uh, everybody else, it just sounds amazing. And to check in and get more information uh, and to get a room, because, you know, time's passing so uh, fast. And it's going to be near the site in Arizona, near where the Fire in the Sky incident actually happened that the movie was based on. So again, it's www.skyfiresummit.com. And coming up in November 8th, uh, Cyril is putting on an exceptional uh, uh, conference with uh, top priority screening followed by a panel with producers B.J. Davis, Julia Davis, and Angelo Bertoli. And that happens to be Brittany Murphy's father. And there's going to be a question and answer after that. And uh, he'll be asking some questions about Mur- Brittany Murphy. Anyway, go to www.cerointernational.com for further information, dates, and directions. And then the StarWorks uh, conference is going to be held at Aquarius Hotel in Laughlin, Nevada, hosted by Paola Harris. That's November 14, 15, and 16. And let's see. 
Then November 23rd, the serial support group meeting will be held in the Huntington Beach location. It's a private group, so the ones in the know just show up over there. Anyway, the big shindig is December 13th, zero annual holiday party aboard the Haunted Queen Mary in Long Beach. It actually starts at 7 p.m. It's a Saturday night, and that's really a great hour because I always work Saturdays. Anyway, so please contact Yvonne Smith. Uh, about your reservations. So go to www.crointernational.com. Now, the price is 62 bucks each and bring a, a gift of $25 or more in value and then you put a gift exchange. So if you bring one, you get one. And it's well worth the money. You have a full dinner, dessert, and I think there's uh, one drink, I think. And then it's, it's a bunch of stuff to do over there. Anyway, this week we are going to welcome our guest pretty soon, uh, Peter Robbins. And right now, I have my co-host of the Mostest. Uh, he is actually on the air. Uh, AJ, we're alive. It's a paranormal sacred. How are you doing? It's going to take a minute for him to hear me because we have the spinning wheel of death. Hi, Adrian. Are you there? Well, as soon as he hears me, uh, it should be coming up. So anyway... Uh, this week, we welcome our guest, Peter Robbins, and Peter Robbins is an investigative writer, author, and lecturer best known for his UFO-related papers, columns, articles, editorials, commentaries, lectures, and media appearances. He is all over the world, actually, and he's a regular fixture on radio and has appeared as a guest on and has been consulting to numerous television shows and documentaries, and I'll read a little bit about his background until uh, I hear Adrian on. So uh, Adrian hears me, but I can't hear him. So I don't know what's up. Anyway, let me read a little bit of uh, his his background. Uh, Robbins' background is fairly non-standard as he, for his chosen field, he was born in New York City, studied art, design, and theater at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, receiving his BFA painting film history from New York City's School of Visual Arts. And he taught painting at um, School of Visual Arts in their Department of Continuing Education for more than a dozen years and was a member of the art facilities over at uh, St. Anne's School in Brooklyn Heights and the Oklahoma Council of the Arts, Arts and Counters Program. And following graduation from SVA, Peter joined the Norwegian Merchant Marines and for a time worked as a freighter, worked on a freighter as a common seaman. During the following years, following his uh, his his was studio. He was a studio assistant. I'm, I'm on tongue tied. He was a studio assistant to the world famous abstract expressionist painter Adolf Gottlieb, and to the American primitive painter William Copley. He was also assistant to pioneer kinetic light sculptor Stanley Landsman. Robbins has also worked as a framing carpenter, interior demolition specialist, art gallery assistant, copywriter, editor house manager for the New York City's Distinguished Mirror Repertory Company from 1988 until 1994. Peter was a crisis and adventure volunteer at the Samaritan House International. He has traveled in approximately 30 countries and an experienced New York City tour guide and an accomplished photographer. He is also co-author, along with Larry Warren, of the highly acclaimed British bestseller, Left at East Gate, a first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. It's cover-up and investigation. That is such a fascinating story. 
and uh, in May uh, 2014, he published Deception, an investigative and analysis of a serious disinformation operation in contemporary ufology. The book is available at no cost from the author, which is awesome. He's a real renaissance man. So let me try to um, see if I can get my host on here again. So uh, what's the prefix? Okay, there he is. Let me try to get him on again. Hello, Adrian. You're live with Paranormal and Sacred. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Um, I don't know what happened. So anyway, welcome to the show. That was Thank weird. You. Thank you. I could hear Sabotage. you loud and clear. <laughs> oh, good. Like, it, was, it, was, it was weird, so it was one way. Less yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Adrian? Yes. Um, my name is Adrian Rudnick. I am an occasional co-host of Sean McCain's show, and I do have a website called com, and Twitter at philosopher, as indicates. Title indicates I am indeed a philosopher. I have a graduate and undergraduate degree in philosophy, and that's kind of my specialty in in it. So the website is really good for those who want to learn something about ufology. It's a good resource place, a good springboard, if you wish. And at the same token, I, I I'm actively putting up writings and stuff like that with respect to that. And um, so my specialty is philosophy, so I tend to look at it through that way. And also being an experiencer like Shar, I have a definite yeah. Um, yeah. definite interest looking at it from, from that angle too. Um I think that gives me an advantage. Um actual having experience instead of just over intellectualizing the issue. So that's it. Right. I'm I'm excited about um Peter Robinson. I know. I'm I'm stuttering. I'm a little too excited. So yeah, uh, he's a, he's awesome, and he's really a real Renaissance man. And people know him about him. We all know him from ufology, but he's quite an artist and lecturer, and everything else, and author, and, uh, and quite an amazing guy. So I'm going to actually call him in now, Adrian. Okay. okay. Let's see, I got I got everything set. One ringy dingy. Do <laughs> you remember her? <laughs> Oh, Lord. Let's do it again. What is going on here? I haven't done anything wrong. I've been sitting here politely. And uh, let me try again. You got the internet correct. I know. I said uh, call failed. I can't even hear it, but maybe it'll go through. Hmm. It said it failed, so I don't know. Let me get out of this block, and I'm going to start over again. Okay, let's try again. Let me just be sure I got the number right. Yeah, as you're doing that, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things about Peter. He's he's had really an extensive background. I don't know if you knew, but you know in 1977, he created and produced a, a six-part series called The Question of UFOs on, on cable TV. I thought it was really interesting. Did, uh, yeah, he's in a lot of TV and, and uh, television. It's quite amazing. Yeah. I think that's what he got. And, and um, him being an artist, he probably found out about Bud Hopkins, I think, because Bud Hopkins was an artist as well. Yeah, it's not going through, and I don't know why, so let me have him call us. Hold on a minute. Okay. Okay, hold on. I'm just going to send him a message. Something, you know, always happens, but once we get this going, it seems to be okay. 
probably a lot of traffic online. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is over there. Yeah, I appreciate his clear-headedness and um, and critical Mm -hmm. thinking and and, and approach to ufology. He tries to approach it as soberly as possible, and I can appreciate that very much so. Did you know his sister was abducted? I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know what happened. Yeah, that's what I, I'm, I'm going to ask him about. No wonder. Oh, oh, that's how he got into abduction. He got into abduction and ufologists because of what happened. I to did him. not his know. Sister. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, I'd like to hear in his own words, but he doesn't talk about it much, but I, I know that's the case. So it would be really fascinating to hear about that. Okay, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna try one more time, and maybe I can get rid of the one because I'm dialing out with a one. Okay, let's try this one. No, it's not. It's not being answered. So be patient, people, because I just spoke with him. Is he on Facebook? Oh, uh, yeah, yes. I just told him to call in, so. Um, he's just going to have to call us. I can't seem to call out. I don't know what the issue is. If I re... uh... Oh, Lord. I might blow up the world if I try to reboot. (laughs) Maybe maybe he's actually trying to get in like I was. I mean, I could hear you loud and clear, and yet you couldn't hear me. Okay. So uh, there he is. Cool. Okay. Clean. Hi. Hi. Sh- Hi. How you doing? Uh, fine tonight, and you? Very good. Um, I just would like to introduce my co-host Adrian Rudnick. Uh, we're real followers of yours, and we're just uh, talking about um, how versatile you are and how many projects you've been on. So, welcome to Paranormal and Sacred. We're live. Thank you, and hi, Adrian. Good evening, Peter. Pleasure to meet you, sir. And you as well. And yeah, I okay, have so been busy. You have been busy because you were out of the country really recently, a few places. Yep. Um, what were you doing? Out of the country twice recently, and again next month. Um, in August, I spoke at the UFO Truth Conference in West Yorkshire, England, uh, pretty much about the subject of my new book. And last month, I had the amazing experience of. Um, being part of a small conference in a uh, city just outside of Milan called Segret, um, which put on its own UFO conference, uh, which also featured uh, the great Dr. Robert Blavel, uh, world-famous Egyptologist. And um, last week, um, I was speaker and master ceremonies at the New England UFO conference and Lemonster, Massachusetts, and in about a week and a half, it's off to Arizona to help with Travis Walton's first uh, conference ever, which we are confident will become a yearly event, and that's called the Skyfire UFO Summit, if any of your listeners uh, are interested in Googling it. Yes, I uh, let's see if I have the information on Yeah, because I announced it, so it's actually www.skyfiresummit.com. That's where you can find all the information. 
Exactly. Um, we've got a number of uh, web links. Another one is um, uh, skyfireconference.com, but they all take you to the same information. That's really, that's really interesting. You know what? I'm, I can't do it this year, but I'm planning on it next year because actually it's the perfect time of year to go. It's not as hot as everything's in the middle of the summer. Oh, my God, it's too hot out there. So this is yeah, going to be perfect. Yeah, and I think... And, um, one of the, the features of the whole conference package, which uh, I think is brilliant, and again, we hope to make this annual, um, this July, uh, July, this November 5th, which is a Wednesday, I believe, is the actual 39th anniversary of Travis Walton's experience. And the plan is for people who have signed up for the full conference package and can get out early enough, because again, it is a Wednesday evening, um, Mm -hmm. we will be taking uh, folks by bus out to the location of where his event actually happened, and they will have an opportunity to walk through it with Travis. Um, Part of our thought was, even though it's a tremendous amount of work, to get a new conference up and running and uh, it's something we've been talking about for a few years, but we felt if we could get it going this year and uh, hopefully break even, pay back our backer, and uh, just get word out about what a unique event it is, that next year, which will be the 40th anniversary, and again, we will repeat this trip out to the location with Travis, um, that we will have established another quality annual UFO conference here in the States. Oh, that would be amazing. You know, it's going to be it's so satisfactory for Travis, too. I can just picture, you know, yes. how it's come full circle and he's going back and, you know, all with all kinds of friends and support. And it's just pretty, yeah. pretty much amazing to me. It is. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the first time I heard him speak was well over 20 years ago. And unlike me, who is very comfortable in front of a crowd and certainly a bit of a ham, Um, he wasn't having a good time up there. Um, He spoke out about his uh, experiences because he felt um, he owed it to um, anyone that was willing to listen. And um, he has gone on to become one of the best public speakers I've ever heard. I mean, he is 100% himself. There's never any affect. He's smart as a whip and very observant, and I've heard him pose a number of times uh, essentially the same thought of if anybody was standing up here uh, and I was in the audience and they were telling me that it had happened to them, what had happened to me, but I couldn't relate to it in my experience, I think they were crazy or a liar too. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> he's quite an amazing guy, and uh, it will be a great UFO conference, no question about it. Oh, yeah, I met him at the same time, I think, about 20 years ago, and he was with Mike. Mm-hmm, that that's Mike right, Rodgers? same, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, I heard him, I and he was out here in the Ah, I heard him in Connecticut, and uh, oh, Mike was something else as well. Um, Mike that we're talking about um, is uh, was at the time Travis's best friend, and one of the other uh, loggers on the crew, Mike Rogers, um, both of these were, you know, working blue-collar guys who were mm-hmm. uh, and made their living for many years 
um, as loggers. And although I can't say for sure, I, I'd be willing to guess that Mike never had any specialty art training. And yet, no. um, after the events, he simply spontaneously, it seemed, became a very um, professional illustrator. I don't know if he stuck with it, but he illustrated Travis's uh, book, Fire in the Sky, which uh, shares the same name with the film. Um, and they quite blew my mind as a trained artist that they were so sophisticated and so accomplished. And being a complete pragmatist in this, um, I'm the first one to say I don't know or purport to know whether or not you know other intelligences gave him powers. I actually think it's at least as likely, uh, and I know this from teaching painting and drawing for many years, years ago, that um, those talents were simply there. And having such an extraordinary event uh, shook him loose, or however you want to express it, and um, a very nice guy, too. And, um, nice. Uh, oof, yeah, very special. Yeah, you know, and his artwork is actually fantastic illustrations. I don't know if anybody's seen them, but it's extraordinary. But he did say he never painted before. Yes. He was just um, a logger. Now that you're saying that, I recall that. And um, for anybody that's curious, I, I would guess that, or maybe some of the images are available uh, on Travis's website, but no question about it, just find yourself a copy of the book, and yeah. uh, they're in it. Amazing. <laughs> I, think yeah. a, I think he's a really. Um, I had the pleasure of um, seeing when he spoke at Ciro a couple of years ago, and um, he, we were sitting together eating dinner. He probably, he probably doesn't remember, but I got a good hour. Mm-hmm. And I was just sharing a meal with him, and um, he's a very grounded person. And I really appreciate that. I mean, isn't that what makes it, one of his cases compelling? He, he's just not fantastic. He's very grounded very real, as it were. I, I, you know, um, it's interesting you say it like that. Um, for more than a year now, I've been working as uh, an associate producer on what will be a feature-length documentary on Travis's experience. Um, right now, the working title for the documentary is simply Travis. Um, I, I'm not sure if that will hold, but it will be out sometime next year. It's being produced by a wonderful filmmaker named Jennifer Stein, um, and it's coming together brilliantly, I think. We want it to be out in time for the uh, the second um, Fire in the Sky conference. But your characterization is really accurate. I um, have been reminded of how many people, uh, and a lot of them well-known people who are worthy of our respect in no uncertain terms, have that same take on him as... Uh, a person of real values, of character, where what you see is what you get, where there's never, ever been any effort uh, or intention or desire to deceive. And um, we're lucky to have him uh, among our ranks. You really are. And, uh, you know, it's it's just an amazing story, and I hope everybody can make it. And please make, you know, book your rooms, because it's coming up really fast. And, yeah, and uh, in fact, um, while um, we've got your listeners right here, especially mm-hmm. for those of you in the Southwest, um, it's going to be 
I would say even a historic conference. It runs officially from November 5th until the, well, um, the 5th is the Wednesday, if anybody can get out there for the pre-conference event um, on November 5th. But otherwise, the conference uh, runs from the 7th to the 9th of November. And um, all information is up on the Skyfire Summit website. Um, it also matters just to be there to support this event. We do want it to be a success and have this first year uh, be something we can all look back uh, with with pride and an awful lot of good memories. Yes, yeah, so, so true. So, Peter, what, what, there's so many topics we could go with tonight. What would you like to start off with? Well, um, it's your show. I'm delighted to be okay. back on. And um, I'd like you two to hit me with your best shots on anything um, okay. that, you know, you got, you'd like some answers on, not that I have the answers, um, or that's just been in your thoughts about uh, UFO um, studies, politics, um, uh, current events, where we are right now. Well, I definitely have questions, questions on that. But I, first, I think um, I don't think a lot of people know that I've come across some information. Um, I'd like you to tell in your own words, how is it that you got into ufology? Because I think your story is absolutely fascinating. Please mm -hmm. speak about your first UFO sighting and the story with your sister Helen. I think that's sure. absolutely fascinating. And because if I understand it correctly, that is what led you in or forced you because you said, yes. if I recall in some past interviews that I've listened, you're not passionate about it, you're obsessed about it because you're, you were kind of forced into it. And your whole story back on how you got into it, I think, is absolutely fascinating. Please share with the audience. Yeah, um, that's a great question and um, one that often comes up for me with other people. Um, how did you get involved in this work or what's the genesis of your interest? Um, it usually breaks down to just a few possibilities. Either you had a sighting or an experience, somebody that you know, respect, care about, uh, had a sighting or an experience, um, you're just particularly intellectually curious, um, or something, you know, uh, intellectual stimulus set you off on that path. For me, it was, as you say, a childhood sighting that I had with uh, my sister Helen, but one, well, um, it was an event that for me as an adolescent was quite overwhelming, even though it was just, you know, things in the sky. Um, so much so, so that um, I really shut it down. Um, I, I was so concerned at the age of 14, like just about any 14-year-old, with the way that others perceived me, um, being popular, uh, well-liked, um, fitting in more. I, I was the geekiest short geeky kid in geek town, and I wasn't into sports at all. Um, for me, main interests at that time were, well, to a degree, what they are now, movies, um, reading. Um, I like to cook a lot. I still do. Um, I collected rocks and bugs and coins and stamps. Um, I was still a Boy Scout, and I knew about flying saucers as much as 
any kid my age would know from science fiction films, but I guess I had never really given the possible reality any thought. I had lots of other things in my life. And yet, um, on that particular morning, and this occurred uh, in the village of Rockville Center, a really lovely bedroom community of New York City, about 30 miles east of Manhattan, um, my sister and I were kind of goofing around on the front lawn, and um, as kids do, but on a um, late morning when there was nobody and nothing around or going on. And um, I caught some movement in the sky out of my right peripheral vision, called my sister's attention to it, and um, there, coming in at a very high rate of speed and stopping, like on a dime, were five silvery-white, disc-shaped craft, for lack of a better term, um, coming in and holding in a, a very precise V kind of formation, like uh, airplanes uh, sometimes fly. And were they silent? Were they silent? Completely silent. Um, and they were close enough to make out regular detailing around the edge of each that Helen and I could only read the way that, um, you know, little windows would look on the side of an airliner at a distance. But there was no question. These were elliptical in shape. Um, they weren't shiny like stainless steel. They were more subdued like, say, a brushed aluminum. But um, there they were. And there was nothing ambiguous about them. Um, many years later, when the memory reemerged that I had done such a good job of submerging, um, once I really became involved in the field, I, I did undergo hypnotic regression on three occasions with three different practitioners because... Um, what I learned that day that Helen and I finally did discuss it more than 14 years later was that uh, while she shared that memory um, and had never forgotten it, unlike me, she had other memories, and um, they were archetypical memories of uh, that many abductees share. Even her language in describing them was not unlike... Um, certainly hundreds of similar statements I've heard from uh, abductees and experiencers over the years. However, this was all completely out of the blue to me. And um, when she first talked about it in the 1970s, um, I, I thought momentarily that she must be going crazy because I had never heard anything as wild as this. And then I caught myself within a matter of seconds and... Uh, appreciated the fact that it was all right five seconds ago that there were five disc-shaped craft close enough to make out windows over the Parker's house, but that what she was now saying was untenable. Um, and again, uh, that memory stayed suppressed. Um, I began to grow up into the person I became, and 14 and a half years later, or thereabouts, um, it rattled loose. I, I can tell you why I think that happened at that point in my life. I think it was a, several contributing factors, but most important, I guess, was that I was ready to uh, deal with it. And, you know, people use the catchphrase, uh, my life changed overnight. Well, mine changed in about 90 seconds. And, um, yeah, I did use the word obsessed. Um, 
my question immediately uh, front and center in life became what had happened to my sister and what in fact had we seen in the skies above us and what did it really represent wow it's uh, it's so fascinating and me you know, and Adrian both are experiencers and uh we yeah. saw different things. I have seen a UFO too with my best friend, and it's quite an extraordinary experience. I think yeah. I was thinking back of why you you didn't say anything for 14 years when me and my best friend have talked about it nonstop since we had the sighting in the 80s. Well, I can tell you why I think that's the case, um, okay. and it has a lot to do with child development. At 14 years old, I was a boy run essentially by raging hormones and a desire to fit in, where Helen was just 12 and still on the cusp of true childhood. And for her, again, she never forgot it. She did ask me later that day if I wanted to talk about it, and I said no. I was already concerned with peer pressure and ridicule, something I've actually studied and written about for years now. I I think that it's such an effective device, uh, ridicule to um, keep this subject so schizophrenic in our culture. And um, I said no. And as she explained to me uh, more than 14 years later when I called her to say I've remembered something from childhood, I don't want to tell you exactly what it was because I, I need to know if you remember the same thing. And I basically set the scene for her, where we were standing, what the weather was like, what time of year it was. And she just jumped in and said, I remember. Um For her, again, she never forgot it and had both negative and positive memories associated with the experience and ultimately related experiences. But um, she always said that um, when in doubt, it made her feel special, where for me, and I'm only half kidding here, there was this thing I was hearing more and more about and doing my best to learn as much as I could about at that point in my life called sex, and it was something that I was really interested in having with girls, and I knew that if I ever talked about having seen a flying saucer over the the neighbor's house, no girl would ever be interested in having this thing with me, and that, again, I'm only half kidding, I, I was really concerned with what people would think. All I knew about UFOs was they were, you know, in the sci-fi movies, and otherwise the adult world considered them kind of a joke. And um, years later... Especially uh, at that time. Especially at that time. Yeah, yeah. And um, years later, I was actually living my dream. All I had ever wanted to do, and I was one of those lucky kids who knew what they wanted to do when they were quite young, in my case, probably from five years old or so, was be an artist. Um, I was a very precocious uh, painter and draftsman, and um, uh, it was, you know, what singled me out as I I grew uh, and developed. And I was living my dream at that point in my 20s, and um, I was teaching painting at my alma mater, the Great School of Visual Arts in New York City. I was beginning to show my work um, at various galleries and shows, I was working, helping to renovate buildings down in Soho in Manhattan, many of which were becoming galleries. And, uh, you know, like my kind of blue-collar intellectual 
uh, be an artist dream, and I resented the hell out of it when something displaced my um, undying passion for the New York art world. I really resented it. Um, It was almost like feeling like I was kicking and dragging myself in a bag from one room to another. Um, I I just wanted to be a professional artist, and um, I continue to uh, be a photographer, and I expect... um, at some point, I will return to painting and drawing, but not quite yet. And um, here I am all these years later, um, best known for anything but. No, it's really something. I didn't I really, really know that about you. And uh, mm-hmm. I also, I'm in forensics right now, with, uh, counselor for the Bureau of Prisons, but um, mm-hmm. I actually do have an art degree also. So it's very strange how we all kind of migrate towards each other or something. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because <laughs> there is, it's like and a collective uh, thing that's going on with a lot of experiences that we're pulling all together, and it's it's turning into like a big family. And uh, well, I thank God a, for you guys. A world of synchronicities, too. Um, I think the universe actually tends to be more organized than chaotic, and when we step back and really uh, attempt to observe that, that is in fact uh, what we see. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, very much a synchronicity. Um, now, I was really interested, I had Tennyson on, uh, I interviewed him uh, I think about a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and he was uh, talking about the Renishan Forest incident, and he was there firsthand experiencing it. And uh, what do you think that now people in America really haven't heard much about it so I wanted to let people let you inform them again about this incident and uh, how, uh, how what is like what's the continuing impact of this and um, how's this going and uh, tell us about your book yeah well um, you're referring of course to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident certainly one of the best known in the annals of UFO studies and uh, far and away the most famous and best documented in the history of the United Kingdom. It's um, a series of incidents that I I, I know quite a bit about, uh, although no one knows the whole story, um, in part because I co-authored a book with one of the witnesses, Larry Warren, Um, that was republished uh, some years ago in an updated and expanded form um, that was a very influential book, in fact, a a smash bestseller um, in the U.K. when it came out. And um, Jim Penniston, who you refer to, was a member of the RAF Bentwaters, the base uh, around which uh, the events were primarily centered, Um, He was a United States Air Force law enforcement policeman uh, who on the first of three nights of events, my co-author being involved on the third night, has maintained um, for years that he and uh, another uh, law enforcement cop, that being John Burroughs, encountered an unknown craft in the woods and that... um, in the course of this experience, um, he observed and, and copied into his notebook various uh, markings, hieroglyphics, symbols, whatever you want to call them, that appeared on the craft. 
and then at a certain point touched one of the symbols. Um, Thirty years later, almost to the day, he allegedly made public for the first time um, his belief that when he did touch it, a binary code, a contemporary computer binary code made up of, in this case, some thousands of ones and zeros, uh, downloaded into his head. More that um, he has no doubt whatsoever that the other intelligence behind doing that and behind the Rendlesham Forest incidents per se <clears throat> had nothing to do with UFOs um, or not beings from another dimension. They were um, time travelers from our own future, and to use Jim's words. Um, this has been problematic for me and other people in many respects. Um, first, while um, saying that he kept the secret for 30 years, as uh, his co-author Nick Pope discusses in their book with uh, John Burroughs, which came out this spring, um, that book being Encounter in Randlesham Forest, that um, even though he kept the secret for um, 30 years, he actually did talk about it in 1994. Um, John Burroughs, who, again, was with him when this happened, um, has been on record for several years, certainly, as saying that he had never heard about this, learned about it, or seen any reference to the pages and pages of copied-out ones and zeros in um, Penniston's notebook until October of 2010, three months only before he made it public to the world, 30 years after it happened. Um, John also has other issues now uh, with Jim, who he feels, um, much to the surprise of many of us, who he now feels um, is not an authentic witness. And... Wow. How can I say? That's not the right phrasing. Wow. But that his story is 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 not what it appears to be. Um, he also surprised a number of us only about six weeks, two months ago, by saying that he never actually saw Jim touch the craft. So uh, we know something happened, and that, to the best of our knowledge, there was, um, you know, um, a thing of, of some sort there, a craft, whatever we want to call it, on the first night. But there are problems with it. Um, the event that Larry Warren was involved in occurred on the third night. And um, I think it's fair to say the very best confluence of physical and other evidence uh, to support massive physiological changes to the soil at the exact and precise spot where the craft Larry and the men with him encountered is the best by far in Rendlesham. Um, I feel that, um, number one, with respect to Jim's belief, that the likelihood is far, far greater that the code was put in his head, not by time travelers from our future, but as part of a uh, very well-planned, long-term United States intelli intelligence uh, community um, disinformation operation to take attention away from a lot of the serious scientific evidence and other types of evidence that have been collected by uh, 
a group of, of researchers over the decades, very dedicated uh, investigators, authors, etc., and witnesses who have come up with um, enough to back this case in a court of law and have it win if such things were adjudicated in our legal system, which of course they're not. So, how can I say? Um, the upshot of all this, again, is this book that was published in April, uh, written by the two witnesses on the first night with uh, the co-authoring, um, the lead authoring, by Nick Pope, of course, a uh, very well-known ufologist who uh, retired several years ago from a career in the British Ministry of Defense. Um, in reviewing the book for British publication, I got the surprise of my life as I read um, a subtext in it that I could see very clearly, having written uh, many of the references that it was drawn from and recognizing the original work and experiences of my co-author um, in other aspects of it, but always turned on itself, uh, delivered in an incomplete or um, a distorted form so as to suggest that Larry was a questionable witness and by implication that my research was uh, not to be taken too seriously. Well, that's a slam. That's just not right. Well, it wasn't right, and I wrote a long review of the book and then followed it up by writing a conference paper. I overwrote them both and ended up writing a book about a book, um, a highly specific critique, and one that, in fact, is very critical. Um, for me, there is a part of uh, the book, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, that is pure, calculated disinformation, specifically designed to discredit um, an important contribution to the work, namely the book Left at Eastgate by Larry Warren and myself, um, because it caused great embarrassment to Her Majesty's government. And um, Nick himself, back then, um, was a major supporter and good friend and helped that book to become the success that it became. Whether or not he had second thoughts years later um, on taking an action that he believed in back then that ultimately blew back to embarrass um, offices and agencies within the government that he loves, uh, the Kingdom of uh, Great Britain, um, or whether he was asked to do it or even assigned to do it. I have no idea, but um, it is what it is. And I would encourage all of your listeners to read the book that I wrote about their book with the understanding that all the book is not major reading, depending um, on the size of the text. It's really only um, about 80 pages or so. It is a 450-page book because I have added the largest database on the Rendlesham Forest incident in appendix form ever made public since the events happened almost 35 years ago. So even an entry-level reader, even somebody that's never read a book about UFOs, will have the opportunity to step into an important case, I believe a very important and serious critique of... Um, 
certain behaviors uh, in that case and allow anyone to really study quite a few hundred pages of documents, reports, papers, uh, letters, drawings, maps, you name it, and a substantial uh, appropriate photographic section and come to their best uh, decisions about whether or not I'm off on some tangent here or whether or not I make sense. So um, I'm just going to end that thought by saying all you need to do to get a free copy of the book, I'm not charging anyone for this, I was so uh, adamant about not being seen as um, doing this for money because I knew sooner or later somebody was going to bring that up, Mm -hmm. um, that I did something extremely impractical, which was um, worked out a way to give it away, cyber editions of the book. So all you need to do is go to the website of Phenomena Magazine. It's a great monthly publication that comes out of Manchester, England, and it is free. It covers the whole UFO paranormal beat, uh, primarily um, as it is in England every month, but with uh, additions. Great writers, uh, again, um, a wonderful public service. And go to the Phenomena Magazine website. You'll see a box there that says Special Reports. Click on that box, and it will take you to a page with a cyber shelf with seven book icons on it. Download all seven in order. There's that much data and you will have it on your PC. And if you feel that I make my case in the book, please share that link with others. Thank you so much for that information, really, because I suggest everybody get that book, you know, and read it for yourself firsthand. Because another thing I notice, let's say, if you go to any kind of UFO support group or experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. at times people do hit a wall and they seem to backpedal. I don't yeah. know if it's out of fear. I know it's part of the this seeming uh, disinformation, but they also, I think, they get into fear sometimes, and they actually opt out of the whole UFO, you know, topic. They just shut down yeah. and stop. Um, I think everybody is subject to um, fear of ridicule. Certainly, other fears as well, and nowhere more than in, you know the world of of people who have had experiences who know that overall um, the modern world is still trying to wrap its head around the UFO phenomena and that there are people who, like their parents and even grandparents, remain deeply conditioned to have wired up the subject of UFOs and their implications with um, fear of what other people are going to think about what you think. I do see that changing um, more every year, but it's still one, two, seven, you know, nine people at a time. It's not some mass movement. But what it comes down to is increasing numbers of people who have an interest in this subject care less and less what other people think about their interest in the subject, and that's important. It is very important. Right, I mean, I, I think it's, it's um, just by the tone of your voice, I like like your attitude. It's important to have that sort of an academic approach to it in the sense that we can pose our different views 
and try to work it out with getting without getting you know pers- personally nasty to each other like you see in the UFO community. People just getting really angry if you, one presents a different um, perspective. And um, yeah, um, and, and it's, um, it's such a complicated phenomenon. We need to sit down, you know, like academics and like okay, scholars. Okay, let's let's work out our conflicts. Maybe something will arise out of this confusing <laughs> phenomenon. You know. Well, this is what works for me. Um, my mentors, and I had three of them coming up in the work early on, and I was very lucky to have them. Um, in fact, I write about them in the new book. One was Bud Hopkins, um, a fellow painter who arguably was the godfather, the pioneer researcher of uh, serious scientific abduction-related studies um, and over the course of our 35-year friendship, I got to uh, work with him as assistant for about half that time. And so just with Bud, uh, I had the the privilege of, of meeting, spending time with, um, hearing about, and going over often very intimate details with some hundreds of people that I'm quite convinced have had these experiences that they claim to have had. Um, Detective Sergeant Pete Mazzolo is a tough, no-nonsense New York City police detective who also happened to be a a crack UFO investigator and in the 70s and 80s had an organization um, which he called the Scientific Bureau of Investigation. At its height, um, it was more than anything else a lobby for um, an, an organization, a UFO organization for police officers from around the United States, many of whom take the subject seriously. Um, I had the fun and interesting job of being the group's art director. And um, Pete, who was the first person I knew who had been trained to do regressive hypnosis, but in his case, um, under the auspices of the NYPD, to use it as a tool for criminal investigation. But he taught me to um, investigate UFO claims, cases, incidents, experiences in the most pragmatic ways imaginable, not that different than law enforcement personnel investigate um, alleged um, crimes um, to collect and, wherever possible, triangulate evidence and um, to present it in a manner that was convincing and professional. Um, Before him, uh, I learned a great deal from a a wonderful guy who was already well in his 70s when we met, and Pete died much too young, at about 42, as I recall. But Coleman von Kavetsky had been a staff officer in the Hungarian army during World War II in charge of... um, Um, all uh, photo reconnaissance and analysis, uh, among other things, and got involved in the subject of UFO studies overnight um, as a newly emigrated citizen of the United States in 1952 when he first read and heard about the the very famous Washington, D.C. overflight from a perspective of a, a military analyst. Uh, and also uh, taught me to investigate these things in a logical, real-world way. 
all of which was uh, underscored and 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 certainly um uh, the technique and the way that that bud worked which was a wonderful reinforcement to me what do you think about bud hopkins view i mean there, i don't know if well, you might be aware of this. i'm sure you might be in 1997 he had a like a live debate um with so uh, john Dr. Mack. Mack. yes yeah yeah and um you can see it online if you want to go to YouTube and type UFO TV. They put on the whole live debate on um, UFO Studios, and um, it was really, I, I loved how they could exchange, have total disagreements. Yet, yes, they were both sorry. There wasn't any hatred. I, I just love that. That's how it should be. And truly, well, you know, you've picked out. You're right, and I love that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you've you've picked an absolutely brilliant example, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, John Mack was a, a dear friend, and um, his friendship with Bud was terrific. They disagreed on a number of aspects of the abduction phenomena, but they had a tremendous respect for each other as well as affection for each other and were true friends. And that discussion, I... I I guess debate also was a word that would qualify that um, they did together in Boston in 97, I think is about as fine an example of civilized, absolutely riveting discourse on this subject between two great minds coming at this subject from two entirely different directions and histories. Um, It should be required watching and listening for any serious student of the subject. Um, You know, sometimes in life, and UFO studies is no exception, things really do need to be settled um, in a a fairly lively and in-your-face manner. Um, I I think my new book, Deliberate Deception, um, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community, is a good example I can't pull my punches. I have to be very specific, and um, I am. And it wasn't a fun book to write, um, and I wish the circumstances had never arisen where I felt compelled to do so. But that being said, I think it's one of the best investigative pieces I've ever done um, because I had to. And um, at this point, I have asked... I guess about the past six radio hosts that I um, have appeared as a guest on their shows as a condition to um, invite Nick Pope to join us where they could be a moderator and Nick and I could Mm -hmm. discuss the differences that we have on this case. Um, He has turned down all of those offers and I expect will continue to because he... um, Really, is it a, a great disadvantage here, um, and all by his own words and statements? Uh, again, I, I leave that to readers of both of our books to make their own best decision on, and mm. um, that's the way it is sometimes. But otherwise, yeah, um, that I, I wasn't able to get to Boston for that, but I was working for Bud at the time. It was a very exciting year for me, too, because... Um, Larry's in my book uh, came out in the States and the UK. And um, at the same time, I I actually remember the first time I watched the DVD 
of their discussion, I was knocked out. And I had had the privilege of, you know, being in the same room as these guys and listening to them talk and argue and laugh and discuss things. But that was one class act. Well, that's amazing that you said that about him uh, because I actually had him booked as a guest on my show, and at the last minute he canceled, so I never asked him on again. <laughs> so that's kind of weird. Uh, yeah. You know, but that's that's really good. You know what I was thinking that, you know, John Mack and Bud Hopkins are, are, are both no longer with us, and um, you and just a few other people I absolutely trust to carry the message, and um, you seem to be given... Uh, the power, like Stephen Bassett is like a dynamo going forward yeah. and pushing forward, and we yeah. need people like that, because some, sometimes as experiencers, we tend to hide. You know, yes. we need people out front, and I want to thank you for that, because uh, you know, it's so important. I mean, just very important. And and how do you feel that um, this, the abduction research is going, and the whole future of the field? Yeah. Um, great question again. Um, I I appreciate the compliment that you've given me, and part of it for me is um, it's important work. It needs to be done. Um, personally, it's one way I have of honoring my sister's memory, who from the time that we both began to discuss this with each other, were public um, about our experiences. And as my sister's uh, notoriety grew as a singer and songwriter, um, she would discuss it at the drop of a hat, and it uh, sometimes played into uh, her music and interviews for the music business as well. But, yeah, it's not uncommon. Um, In fact, it seems the most natural thing in the world if you have had these experiences, not to want to shout them out to the world, not knowing how individuals will react. Um, The Experiencers Speak conference that uh, we held early um, last month in September in Portland, Maine, um, was the third year that it's happened, and a conference I think that you would love um, is organized by... um, an abductee experiencer, one of a pair of uh, identical twin sister abductee experiencers. And um, now that it's in its third year, it really has set a very kind of special tone and um, sort of turned the conference format on its head a bit in a very good way, namely that um, it has a few presenters who are well-known ufologists like um, Sam Friedman and Kathleen Marden, but everyone else um, were experiencers and abductees. Since we've lost Bud and uh, John Mack, um, I think that the two most important voices in many respects representing both sides of the debate on abductions have gone from us, which is terrible. Um, David Jacobs, who is also a senior researcher and a now recently retired professor uh, of history from Temple University in Philadelphia, I know is at work on several books. I would say right now, for me, leading figures in the work are Kathleen Martin, 
who is, um, I forget the exact title, but she is MUFON's director of abduction studies in so many words, um, has written one book after another um, about the UFO subject, uh, too, with Stanton Friedman, um, and is, of course, the most knowledgeable person, really, I think, in the world on the first well-known abductions, that of Betty and Barney Hill. And Kathleen is, in fact, their niece, so um, really is is so uniquely informed on the subject. Also, maybe um, lesser known is um, Denise Stoner, who, like Kathy, resides in Florida, has a remarkable background, runs a monthly support group for uh, and abduction uh, studies group for abductees, um, and she and Kathy uh, together um, published last year the Alien Abduction Files, which is a must addition um, to any serious library on UFOs. But as far as um, you know, the charisma of, of Bud and John and their very high visibility, um, these two remarkable women, as far as I'm concerned, like in most respects in the world, have to work twice as hard um, to get, you know, half the attention. And they're two of the most competent and knowledgeable specialists in this field that we have working right now. Very much so. So, And Denise Stoner, uh, I know I know the, the Hill story is, is amazing. Denise Stoner, on her own, has had quite an amazing life. Hasn't she? Look it up if anybody doesn't know about her, because she's done some amazing things in her life. That's true. I'm going to ask an obvious question here. Given the various opposing views of, like, Bud Hopkins and John Mack and mm-hmm. David Jacobs or even Kyle Turner or whoever, um, what are your consequences? Bud Hopkins, you know, on that, 1997 debate that I mentioned, he, and I quote, he says, I simply don't trust them. And um, while Mac concedes that, yeah, there's traumatized trauma and, and all that s- sort of stuff that uh, Hopkins dis- um, describes as far as the induction phenomena, but he, mm-hmm. s- but he also s- has a different interpretation of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I'll tell you what, 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 what I what think. Are your, what are your views on what do you think, or should we not trust yeah. them, trust them? What are your views? Well, remember that um, I began my um, information base with the discussion, a series of, of talks with my sister, who had memories of both anxiety-provoking and um, some positive experiences as well. Working with Bud for many years and also... Um, being friends and good friends with John Mack gave me an opportunity to look at both perspectives well, also to know and spend time with abductees and experiencers who had worked with both um, Bud and John at different times or with one or the other. If you ask me, um, after well over 30 years in this field, I realize um, how little we know. And 
even though, okay, I'm something of an authority or a person associated with the subject, don't kid yourself. People that tell you they have the answers maybe have the answers to what they believe or what they think, but whether or not they are the answers um, is an open question and will remain so. Um, For me, I can say at the least, um, we're definitely not alone and that there are other intelligences, um, some of which, um, as when I entered this field, I assumed were extraterrestrial in nature who come and go with impunity, at least since, you know, the 1940s, but probably since time immemorial. I I don't see any conflict with basic understanding of, you know, what's become known as the ancient astronaut theory, Um, that there are others that may be just a dimension away, but with us always. And then you go into the more exotic theories, like time travel, which who am I to say isn't a reality or a possibility, and lots of finer minds than mine um, maintain that it's at least theoretically possible. Um, I also feel that we may well be dealing with different varieties of thems, some of which have very positive historical relations um, with humanity in that they wish us the best, um, and have a concern about where we're going, who may have made adjustments um, over the years, um, the same way we do with laboratory animals, um, who may in fact, um, at least in some sense that we don't understand, be us at some point in the future, or that we are their graduate experiment gone horribly wrong, and that they are in dire danger of passing, of failing their courses if things continue to go as they are here in this laboratory. Um, then again, a fair amount of it is attitude and what the experiencer themselves is conditioned or able or um, can tolerate. I will tell you this, though. Um, from many conversations with John and many, many more with Bud, um John Mack, by the time that he got into this work, was fairly down on the Western model of philosophy. It really has not produced uh, a lot of um, positivity looking at the state of the world today. And he had maybe even, you know, like many idealistic people coming through the 60s, um, a genuine interest in turning to Eastern philosophies um, and looking for transcendence. John was much more interested in the potential for positive human transformation that the uh, other intelligences offered the potential of or offer the potential of, where Bud, very much rooted in the Western model and a pragmatist and a humanist, who got into the work kind of with a fused combination of phenomenal curiosity, uh, the ability to really dig into things, um, the kind of training that we receive as artists that allows us 
regularly um, to think out of the box um, and not look for common solutions. Um, Bud was concerned that there were many people who were suffering because they had had the experiences they had. I think some folks feel that, you know, um, it was very cut and dried and um, Bud only saw people who had had bad experiences and John only saw people who had good experiences. Bud took what he got, and I can tell you that, having been at his side throughout the formation of the very first support groups and, um, again, having so much contact with so many people from so many different philosophical, social, um, economic, religious backgrounds. Um, But John was looking for positive experiences among people. And he certainly, that was no reflection on a lack of compassion. He had it to spare um, and very rarely met more caring people in my life. But I think that was the main division between the two. And I think both things are going on. Yes, if yep. it wasn't for, you know, Dr. Mack, that's how I, uh, he referred me because he in Bo- was in Boston at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him about my experiences because I was totally having a, a very horrible uh, post-PTSD problems and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I wrote him, he referred me to Yvonne Smith, and that's where I've been going ever since. Oh, so, I yeah. Got, yeah, I got a lot of help. And uh, I only came out actually a couple of years ago, you know, to the outside world. So it's, it is yeah. a, a process. And uh, thank God for the support system that's building around everybody because it's not easy. Yeah, you got Especially that when you right. You get locked out, and then the, the cover-ups, and then the uh, disinformation, also a bunch of scrambled information. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you are right, my friend. What is your view on um, on um, the so-called the dis- disclosure movement? I mean. Like um, Robert Bigelow, he makes he makes a distinction between disclosure and confirmation. Um, Stephen Bassett defines disclosure as confirmation. <laughs> um, John Alexander um, says, "Well, disclosure already happened. What are you talking about? Oh, but nobody saw you with Carter." So he says, well, "You know, it, it happened." Um, and so, and Travis Walton says, "Well, it'll happen um, probably through." whistleblower or some sort sort of undeniable mm-hmm. event. I mean, so it seems like on one level there's a, people have different definitions of what is disclosure. Second, um, even if people agree on a certain level what it is, will it actually happen? I mean, what are your views do you, yeah. um, as far as the whole movement? Do you think it will actually happen or go ahead? Um for any of your listeners that are not familiar with Steve Bassett's name, he is um, he has taken on kind of a unique place in the work, namely being our unpaid full-time lobbyist um, in officialdom in Washington, um, petitioning, trying to create uh, interest among our elected officials and ranking appointed officials on taking this damn subject seriously. Steve has been responsible for a number of so-called X conferences and um, 
events uh, most associated with the National Press Club, including last year's absolutely brilliant um, citizen hearings uh, on UFO secrecy, which I was honored to uh, offer testimony in. Um, The so-called disclosure movement, which aims to get governments to tell us the truth about what they know, um, I think has minimal chances of succeeding per se in our country, um, where it's doing a lot better in other countries, uh, including South and Central American countries, key European countries, um, a number in the East, and even the British government has declassified thousands of documents. Um, Then again, most of the Scandinavians have, the French have. Um, We see a great deal of smoke rather than smoking guns, but my God, I mean, it's completely damning. Um, The information that is completely credible, uh, guilt edge that's available to anybody interested enough to seek it out. It should be enough, um, you know, to, to change somebody's mind just by reading it. However, that's not the way it is. Um, you have to remember that the active cover-up of, um, that kicked in the modern age of, of UFO sightings in the summer of 1947 um, was taken very seriously at the time and was brilliantly mounted by both the government and an either willing or naive or uh, well-used media. And at this point, for, let's say, a president of the United States to come forward and say, my fellow Americans, it's my solemn duty to inform you that since 1947 at least, we have been aware of blah, 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 blah. Um, No president could do that on their own in this day and age without a lot of discussions and clearing it with other world leaders and power brokers. And I mean that also in the private sector, because there are now heads of corporations who in their own ways do wield as much power as as certain world leaders, and in other cases even more. But imagine, if you will, that in disclosing that we know we're not alone, it would naturally have to follow that we, we being the United States, in terms of its presidents, since and including Harry Truman, whether they be on the left, the right, Democrat, Republican, conservative or progressive, that they are all unindicted co-conspirators in the greatest lie in human history. That doesn't play well with politicians. Um, The fact that the government, in terms of those who have overseen this subject since its advent in the summer of 1947, um, are overwhelmingly made up of powerful white males who do not relish the idea of the illusion that they are actually powerful um, in terms of these other intelligences. 
which would overnight vaporize if we admitted that we can't touch them really. Um, we've learned a bit um, from crash, you know, recovered materials from crashes, the idea of back engineering, certain basic technologies not out of the question. But I think this country will never willingly activate the process of disclosure unless they are pushed to the edge and they know that something is coming and that they damn well better, you know, assist the populace with a little bit of warning. Or, um, I'm not saying that disclosure won't happen. I think it likely will, but it won't come from the United States government. Um, It may come in ways gradually from the disclosure movement growing around the world and more and more individuals in more and more countries helping their fellow citizens to educate themselves to the seriousness of the subject. It might come in the form of some major WikiLeaks um, kind of situation or dating myself a bit, um, sort of Daniel Ellsberg Pentagon Papers release of information. I've seen some of them, unfortunately, not first generation, but certainly in the late 70s and occasionally since, um, sometimes online, although you cannot always trust images that you find online, to put it mildly. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some phenomenally... um, um, anomalous things going on on the surface of the moon and to a degree that we can make out photographically on Mars if some of these best photographs got into the hands of major media and they were willing to uh, blast them all over uh, broadcast and print land um, that might trigger something as well Um, we just don't know but I, I think that it will be a hand that will very much have to be forced in this country, and we will see how it develops uh, in other parts of the world. Disclosure, that is. Right. You're talking about Mars. I mean, some of the pictures are fantastic. You know what I mean? Yes. And then they have these strange objects that, to me, look metallic. It doesn't look like things that have been there for eons, really. It looks a little bit more modern, almost like metal sticking out of the ground or in very odd shapes, if we can trust those photos. Well, that's just it. We have to be very careful with new generation digital imagery because it is so easy, relatively speaking, for anybody uh, um, who understands Photoshop to come up with fairly convincing images that when put online without the benefit of negatives, uh, as we used to have in analog uh, photography, um, to establish a serious analysis of as an image online. It's one of the reasons that um, some of the images that I've seen of anomalies on the moon, and you might even, you can even find quite a number of them just by Googling anomalies on the moon um, or, you know, any such word combinations. Uh, some of them are jaw dropping. And some of those images have been around um, certainly since the 70s when I first saw them um, in a brief period where NASA actually offered the public the opportunity to buy um, black and white glossies 
of thousands of um, shots of, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands of shots originally um, taken um, by various orbiters around the moon uh, over the decades. And that program was only in effect for a relatively short time because a number of us going over these photos, and I, I don't believe there was a way that NASA could have had the manpower to have, uh, you know, a staff uh, of of trained um, photographic analysts going over these prints micrometer by micrometer with a 10-power glass or more magnification looking for uh, anomalies that might prove embarrassing at a later date, but quite a few of them got through. And that program evaporated shortly after. You could organize, you could order those prints, as I recall, in the later 70s, for a dollar each from NASA. And uh, me and a number of friends and early colleagues got together and did just that and found some wonderful stuff. Damned if I know where those prints are more than 30 oh, years no. later. I was just going to ask, can we see these pictures? Uh-huh. Wow. And I know they they must be a lot more really valuable. You know, because it's the first generation that came out of there before all the stuff that we could do. We couldn't do a lot of... It was so obviously when you so obvious when you doctored pictures in the 70s. Now you yeah. can actually take and uh, copy the image, flip it over, you know. So it's uh, pretty convincing, but I'm not convinced of all of it. Oh, no. Uh, there's no reason to be. And the best people in the work have to maintain an ab an attitude of serious skepticism in approaching each new case or investigation, be it very modest or very long-ranging. You reach a point in this work for some of us where the preponderance of every kind of evidence imaginable brings you to a point where you no longer have the luxury of disbelief. And that is when you really have to um, exert... um, you know, um, a high level of uh, self-discipline, integrity, and mm-hmm. not jumping to conclusions because you know such things happen. Right. Now, um, I'm going to ask you something that's kind of off the wall, but what do you think about um, Whitley Strieber's abduction accounts and how he has uh, recently, things have changed. The last time I saw him, he was also a, a different than in the past. Or am I observing something that, you know, isn't true, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Um, what are your thoughts yes. on this? Well, um, Whitley, of course, is famous primarily for having written the book Communion, which... I actually um, was among a small group of people that he asked to proofread in manuscript form. Uh, I am convinced that it is overwhelmingly accurate, but I I just don't know. Um, I think his later books, some of which I've read and some of which I haven't, take us more into a realm of... Um, this is the nature of my continuing relationship with these other intelligences and um, take this leap of faith with me. Um, 
who am I to say that it's not happening or accurate? And at the same time, I'm always wary. Uh, I think I, I must say here, I think Whitley is one of the smartest, thoughtful, um, interesting people ever to emerge in the field. And by the time that he did, of course, he was a uh, highly regarded professional writer um, of mostly Gothic-type fiction. I've read some of his fiction and enjoyed it very much. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I just don't know. I know that um, he took Left at East Gate very seriously and um, that the experiences that he and his family and friends had at their cabin in upstate New York that he describes uh, in um, communion um, had a tremendously upsetting uh, effect on his life. In fact, and I'm not speaking um, out of school here, although I was privileged to hold the information at the time and would have never spoken about it until cleared to do so or it was made public, but Woodley was suicidal. Um, and when he approached Bud, um, he was beside himself. The process of writing that book, I think, was very therapeutic for him as well. And um, the responses to it um, were life-changing. Um, for the uh -huh. record, and it's a bit of a tangent, but it's important, Bud actually was the one who introduced him, Whitley, to the illustrator, who would then go on to paint the incredibly famous face that we find on the cover of Communion. Now, that face took some factors from many reports, but it also added some complete inventions of the artist. No one has ever actually reported seeing a being quite like the one on the cover of Intruders. And that served in a remarkable way to separate the wheat from the chaff. I don't know how many um, letters and emails Whitley must have gotten over the years. I know Bud got quite a few hundred just saying that that face on the cover of Communion stopped me cold in that bookstore. I had to take that oh, book home definitely. with me. But it didn't look quite like that. The eyes were more this shape. The mouth was more this shape. The head was more this shape. And in each case, bringing us back to um, archetypical greys and beings that are reported, um, which was a great confirmation in a way, because no one reported and said that was what I saw. It was with these adjustments that brought it back to what we knew and know that people were and are seeing. Yeah, I had the same effect on me. I was in a bookstore. I was having all the all the experiences and everything else, but this is when it was on the shelves, which meant it was brand new, and I can't remember that year. Do you remember that year? Well, the book came out in 96. Um, in, I take that back. Um Communion came out, I believe, in 96. Um, I can grab it off my shelf, but I'm not even going to reach. Um, okay, no. That's, that sounds about right, because I was having very intense experiences, and I remember I went to... I don't know why I, I went I'm sorry, to, take that back. I take it back. Communion came out in 80? 1987. This, within yes. okay, a very right. short time 
of Bud Hopkins' Intruders within a very short time of Timothy Good's Above Top Secret and a spate of other important UFO books, very important year in UFO publishing, but that was 1987. Wow. Well, I was in... uh Lancaster, and I don't know why I would stop and go into a bookstore when I was on the way to visit my cousin. And I remember I dragged in my husband into this bookstore, and I was standing right in front of that book, and I went into complete shock and horror, so I got it. And I was looking over my shoulder the whole time. I was paralyzed with fear reading that book. And I think it had the effect of everybody that was ever in contact with it had the same exact feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it um, it was also made into a film uh, with the great Christopher Walken playing oh, the yeah. role of Whitley and um, Lindsay Carouse, uh who is the wife of the uh, great playwright and screenwriter uh, and writer David Mamet, um, playing Whitley's wife Anne. Um, like so many scripts, um, you know, there are parts of it, uh, so many scripts based on real events, um, that are authentic and other ones that are somewhat problematic. I thought it was a very effective film. And uh, um, at the same time, you know, it did make some huge smash. Uh, rarely do films on the subject uh, change our culture, to put it mildly. Yes, I think the... the the book had a huge impact. Um, also, I mean, the obvious discussion arises, you know, how much did the media influence, you know, what we really perceived aliens and, and um, how, it's, how it's perceived. Did the media influence what experience you saw or the experience, you know, influenced the media? And um, I'm sure, as you know, like, it's the, the experiences of the one who influenced the, the media because um, if you look at Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, that was done. The research was actually done, as, you, as I'm sure you know, where they got um, their the version of how the aliens look like from actual abductees. Yes, you know, and, and even the terminology, close and kind of the first kind, second kind. That was, you know, through the Dr. J. Allen Hynek. You know, so it's like the movie was a reflection of, of what was already going on in the yeah. UFO community. You know, like I, would you? Uh, comment on the role of media and people and vice versa, whatever, what I just mentioned? It's true. Um, And the media continues to be a nemesis overall. There are great people within broadcast and print media that would like uh, for this subject to be taken more seriously and do their best. But let's remember that we're dealing with... um, corporations, large and small, um, that do business with other businesses, including multinationals and the military-industrial complex, that um, have signaled, you know, in so many ways over the decades, um, their control over the subject, the standard distortions that we see, and the fact that even when something of real quality is on television uh, or in print about UFOs, it's usually not um, something that is, you know, widely read by Mr. and Mrs. America. Um, We're still a relatively small niche 
um, and it will take something major to change that in an open, honest way. Do you think Steven Spielberg will ever do, like, uh, I guess I'm just having fun here, um, something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, or like a, an updated version of what's going on now? Oh, gosh, I have no he idea. Seems, but he seems he to have done his research has, back then. Um, the fact is he's done a disproportionate number of films around uh UFO or other intelligence-related themes. He's a marvelous filmmaker, of course. We overall love his work. And um, it, it's been a running question for decades. Does he know? Is he an insider? I mean, who knows? Um, he certainly has people who do their homework um, and... Uh, has since Close Encounters, no question about that. Um, we know it's a subject that fascinates him, and it's also a subject that, um, properly handled, um, can make for a really successful money-making movie uh, that can have a great impact on pop culture and film-going audiences. It would be great, I think, to see him produce... Uh, yet one more really serious, maybe most serious, film on this subject. And, uh, you know, again, help to continue to educate people about the reality of the phenomena. Yeah, I think there is something in the works. I think he's working with Chris Bledsoe. I think. Mm, I, I think that may be the case. I hope yeah. so. We will yeah. learn together. We'll learn together, because that would be quite amazing. And uh, um, you you have been involved with so so many different and varied things. That's why I call you Renaissance man. And you've kept your sense of humor and your your closeness to people. And you have many uh, close friends. And uh, it's been uh, quite amazing. You were actually involved in uh, several shows. And and right now you're involved in a magazine, the UFO Truth magazine. Is that correct? I am. I'm their American correspondent. Um, it comes out every other month and is published uh, in Manchester. It's a great online UFO magazine. Yeah, it's actually beautiful. I'm sorry, I don't mean and Manchester. It, it, it's published in West Yorkshire. Phenomena magazine is published Yorkshire. in Manchester. Yes, it is. And you've written for Open Mind Magazine, too, one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very That's, beautiful I would magazine. Say it is. It's got great production values, and I'd say it's certainly the most significant UFO-related publication in America that we have right now. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I subscribe. And uh, actually, um, you're also... Uh, creating an independent film right now. Did you want to tell us about that? Well, I'm associate producer on a uh, independent film that is based on the idea of uh, a UFO cover-up and one more way of coming at it. Um, it's called uh, Apollo Minus Project, and you can Google it and learn a bit about it. Um, very briefly, it involves... Uh, a young documentary filmmaker obsessed uh, 
with what had happened to his grandfather, who was an Apollo astronaut and who, uh, in the story, again, it is a story, um, but one done with respect to a great deal of reality, um, an astronaut who returns uh, from a mission in the early 1970s then disappears and is never seen again. And we follow uh, the filmmakers working on a documentary and getting deeper and deeper into the mystery. Um, And, uh, yeah, we hope that that becomes a film in the next year or so. Definitely working away on that for sure. The Travis Walton documentary that I mentioned is um, in progress now and has been worked on for more than a year now, and uh, we're very excited with the results that we're getting. It is. It just sounds just so exciting, and it's keeping the the whole mix alive and the creativity and how it's bringing people together as as close friends. I mean, this is, I don't know if it's a phenomenon in itself, because uh, I have been developing so many uh, very strong relationships with other people involved in this whole yeah. thing. It's almost like you find you find your peace. Well, I couldn't have said it better. Um, it, it amuses me that regularly somebody will come at you and accuse you of being in the work um, for the money, which really is a joke. Um, what you do become potentially wealthy in are tremendously interesting friends um, in locations that you would never have gone to or people you would never have met if this work hadn't have brought you together and occasionally um, places that you get to go but the people that you meet and um, what they add to your life and the opportunities uh, that they can sometimes create um, is about the biggest perk on the job oh yeah it's exciting, and uh, the people are the most interesting people that I've ever met in my whole life. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are your views? Everybody from, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, go, no, you go, Adrian. Go. Okay. We can't see each other, so sometimes <laughs> so we, we go through this. Um, what are your views? I mean, I guess you sort of hinted at that, but as far as... Um, as a researcher, now that the internet is commonplace, how do you, how does the internet influence your research, and what are the pros and cons in your view as far as when you're doing ufology? Great. Um, the internet is very definitely uh, a miracle. It's also a double-edged sword. I can't even understand how to begin to understand how it is possible but there it is in our faces every day. Um, However, as an investigative writer, my most important research tool, aside from my common sense and critical thinking and the files that I've developed uh, over years, is a world-class working actual library um, with a specialty in the subject of UFOs, of course, but with books that I've acquired 
that have spun off into tangential subjects that I've needed to educate myself about in the course of writing, researching, or investigating. Not that I don't look for certain information online. It's a wonderful place um, to get images, to um, get a bead on the controversy surrounding certain cases or allegations. Um, But it is often much more difficult, if not impossible, to verify information that is alleged regularly coming at us from so many different points, uh, individuals, groups, or unnamed sources on the Internet. Um, In that sense, I I still feel there is no substitute for a genuine, analog, real-world, physical library. Um, And I'm real proud of mine. Yeah, cool. proud of, and it's so you know you're living this creative life is is my dream, and I think you're really living your dream, and you're yeah. you're just going for it. Yeah. True. Do you think Do you think art has um, being visual artist? I'm an audio artist. I studied violin 14 years. Um, used to play professionally too. But um, as an artist, visual artist, do you see that somehow? can influence you in a really positive sense as far as your research or how you perceive things in this field? Sure. Um, I think a background in the arts may seem not the best one to have to become an investigative writer specializing in this subject. Um, I've, you know, when you compare it to uh, an extensive background in science or human behavior, physics, um, mental health. Uh, there are a lot of ways to come at it, but I feel really lucky to have had uh, a wonderful training and an extensive background in well, the visual arts as well as, uh, to a degree, performing arts and having worked uh, in theater management off-Broadway for many years with wonderful actors and set designers and the like, we're dealing about a subject here that is all about thinking outside of the box, as the popular phrase goes, and applying your reasoning in ways that might be completely off or inappropriate in the regular world that we face every day in human affairs. Um, to paraphrase um, all that great line of Oliver Stone's from the movie JFK, a, a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery, um, or maybe that is the phrase. But that is what we continue to face straight on with UFO studies. There are people that will tell you how many civilizations have been coming to Earth and for how long. To those that make such claims, uh, my basic reaction is, you're, you're saying you know the unknowable. There is no way that anyone, even if you were the president of the United States, the director of the NSA, um, the head of MI7, and the leaders of seven alien races all rolled into one being, how could you possibly know exactly how many 
civilizations have been coming to Earth from points unknown and for what periods of time. I, I think because there is no, you know, it's not like the psychologists and the National Psychological uh, Association or, you know, any professional group that oversees, like the AMA, um, we don't have such a thing in ufology per se. Um, MUFON offers a, a great field training for investigators, and you follow you know codes and procedures and uh, hopefully a moral compass. But in order to be a UFO investigator or a ufologist, let's say, I believe the qualifications are still simply touching your finger to your nose, turning around three times and saying, I'm a ufologist. It's, you know, you want to do it, you do it, and that's what you call yourself. Um, so the best people in the field for me are the ones that hold themselves to the highest standards they can, um, proceed uh, carefully and with caution and with respect to the many variable variables that you face in any kind of investigative work uh, with humility, with a sense of humor. And um, the basic rules for me have always been never go into any new investigation with an agenda. Always enter any new investigation with an open mind. And when I yeah. say investigation, I mean anything from the nine dedicated years I spent working with Larry Warren to develop the manuscript for Left at Eastgate, or at the other extreme, um, sitting down in a corner of a hotel lobby at the request of a stranger who has asked you if they can discuss something with you, um, that you always tell the truth about what you find in your investigations and that you always follow those investigations wherever they go, no matter how awkward or surprising. Um, that's as good as we can do in this work, at least for many of us, and it's um, the way I continue to try to uh, do the work that I pursue. Um, we have a question from John Lee Francois. Uh, He's in our chat room, and he's asking, is there any official revelation about aliens uh, would have to deal with the issue of the alien intervention in and uh, the initiation of the human evolution? Uh, what he's asking is, uh, do they have, a, a, are we experiencing alien intervention? Are we experiencing, say again? Uh, okay, uh, John, if you're there, see if I get this right. Uh, let's see. Okay, are there any official revelations about aliens? And, okay, okay, he's saying would have to deal with the issue of the alien intervention of human evolution. He's saying, have there been inter intervention on us, I think, physically, through evolution, have they been there, like, let's say, uh, ancient aliens, have they been there the whole time, influencing us? Um, Is there any kind opinion, of revelation? Well, my opinion, and it's just my opipinion, is that that is certainly likely. Um, 
for me, uh, a number of the proponents of the ancient alien theory uh, are really on to something when um, they point to evidence that backs up their allegations in a logical way. But um, I think it's also an area of study where a lot of people um, that are serious about it ask us to take a, a leap of faith and um, to say, yes, that that cave drawing that's, you know, 18,000 years old that you photographed um, in, in a remote part of Australia is definitely an alien. When I look at it, and I might say to myself, that image from that Aboriginal culture has lines coming off it and circles around the eyes that somebody is telling me is radiation and a spacesuit and goggles, and I think it could be sticks and charcoal. Um, I absolutely take seriously that there have been visitations since prehistoric time, but don't tell me that something that may be something representing something is something representing something if you get my meaning. Um, to paraphrase yeah. Mark Twain, it's the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. That's right. That's right. So uh, we have about uh, just a few minutes left. Um, could you want to tell everybody uh, where to reach you, Where, if you have a website where it's at, and uh, your upcoming events again? Sure. Um, the uh, Right now, the best way to reach me is via my Facebook page, and there are a number of Peter Robbinses. I'm the one uh, listed in Ithaca, New York, where I live close to. Uh, at the same time, I hope to have a website up uh, before the end of the year again. It's been too long. And otherwise, um, should you be able to join us, please, please consider uh, attending the Travis Walton's um, Skyfire UFO Summit coming up in Heber, Arizona. The If you can get there early, uh, it begins on Wednesday, the 5th of November, but the main aspect of the conference will be uh, the 7th through the 9th. Um, for any of your English-speaking listeners who are in South or Central America, at the end of November, I'll be speaking at the 6th World UFO Congress in Brazil and really looking forward to ending my speaking year on that in a country that I've wanted to visit for years but have never had the opportunity to. That's, that sounds amazing. And we do have many listeners in South America that really have a... Uh, uh, open mind about this topic and very interested. Yes. So I know they're going to yeah. love you down there. And uh, <laughs> I would just wish you, you know, the best on uh, everything you're doing. I'm just so uh, impressed by you in very many ways. And I want to thank, no, thank you, you for Charlie. being in the forefront. You're welcome. I want to thank you for being in the forefront too. Because I'm in like I'm well, like the side front, but not the forefront. <laughs> I appreciate that and. We'll continue to do what I can to uh, make our subject taken more seriously and uh, 
bring more folks into a rational understanding that we are not alone in the universe, and that is not necessarily a bad thing, but um, it sure is destined to shake up the majority of the populace when it finally hits the fan in no uncertain terms. Well, great. Thank you so much for being on. And Adrian, do you have some last words with uh, Peter? It was a pleasure meeting you, sir. I wish you um, good luck in what you're doing, and um, and just keep at it. It's nice to have somebody with, um, also I have a, I don't know if you know, I have an undergrad and graduate degree in philosophy, uh-huh. so it's nice to hear somebody uh-huh. with crit- good critical thinking skills and and really being thoughtful about um, one's approach. Um, I wish you the best. It was a pleasure interviewing you, sir. Well, thank you, Adrian. You asked terrific questions. Uh, at um, another time, I'll look forward to returning to the show and oh, wish yes, you two a great time. weekend. Okay, have a great weekend and happy Halloween coming up. Thank you, my favorite holiday. Okay. I know, me too. Okay, take care, Peter. See you on Facebook. You're okay. welcome anytime. Bye, you too. Okay, Be care. well. Take care, Bye-bye. Pe- take care, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, what a gentleman, and I am so impressed by uh, all his education and what he's done. It's so incredible. Even at one point, I think, let me look back here in my notes. I mean, he's just done so much and so much lecturing, and, um, you know, he's done a lot for the community, too. And uh, let's go through that again. You know, he's the co-author, along with Larry Warren, of the highly acclaimed British bestseller Left at Eastgate, a first-hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and oh, yeah. investigation. Yeah. And then in May 2014, he published Deception, and that was an investigation analysis of a serious disinformation operation in contemporary ufology. That, that chaps my heart to no end. And then the book is available at no cost, remember, from the author. And that website, uh, thanks, Adrian, for finding it, www phenomena p h e n o m e n a m a g a z i n e phenomena magazine dot c o dot u k and you can get it for free and uh, I think the more we learn on this subject, you know the better for all of us really, and we can discuss this intelligently right i I think that's wonderful that that he's doing that, and I'm, I'm glad to hear. I didn't know about the, his newest book, so it's really wonderful to hear about it. Um, he's such an expert on the Rendlesham. He's been there so many times, um, yeah. physically there, you know, and um, to hear a side of it, it's it's, um, it's a really interesting perspective, and I think an important perspective that he presents, because the, uh, just give me 10 more seconds here, because the intelligence community, yeah, one of the things they, they do when they interrogate they put all sorts of stuff in your mind, and you you'll wake up and you won't know you know what's heads or tails, and you, you won't even that's know that some of, the, some of the things that that's in your mind was due to um, what you being interrogated, you know. And so that's important to to consider, and I think it's really interesting and important that he mentioned that as far as the Rendlesham case. So um, wasn't this a great guest? Are you there? It what? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Can you? Can am I still here? Yeah, you're there. Okay. Uh, so if we have about 50 seconds, and then the uh, it's going to go on to recording. So I want to wish everybody in chat, you know, all the best. And you're going to be able to still be in chat, but you won't be hearing anything. And but you can re-listen to this whole thing in archives. And uh, I want to thank you everybody for tuning in. 
And I actually have to talk about next week. We have such an interesting guest next week. We find it here because I wrote it all down. I didn't want to miss it. Much me miss it. But anyway, next week, that is our second year anniversary as a paranormal sacred Halloween night. So I have Ryan Katzenbach. And uh, he is, his book, uh, Rick Osuna's book was adapted into a docudrama entitled Shatter Hope, the true story of the Amityville murders. And it's, the film was released in December uh, 2011 and was written, directed, and produced by our guest on Friday, Ryan Katzenbach, and featuring narration by veteran actor Ed Asner, examines also aspects of the Amityville case along with strong focus on the DeFeo family and the events surrounding their murder. So that's a nice, good, scary topic, huh? Yes, it is. Appropriate Are you leaving it? town? Are you leaving well, I'll town be for... My, I'll be visiting my mom. Um, I mean, she's like 10 miles away from my home, but um, she wants me to come visit her on Halloween, so I'll be um, over there. But if, if I could squeeze in a call, could <laughs> call and at least say, say hi. <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to do that if that's okay. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be great, and uh, you can do it from your mom's house too, and, and let her in on what's been going on with you, and that you've been doing <laughs> this because I don't think people actually believe actually was the shenanigans you got going on, and uh, it's just been a, a real pleasure, you know, to have you tonight, and I look forward to doing the interview with Ryan with you on uh, our second year anniversary and two I years. I think can you it believe is that? Right. I can't believe it, and it's been. This is the 211th show, and it's really... I can't can't get over it, because I remember when you first started, and when you mentioned that to me a couple weeks ago, you know, 200 show pushing, I was like, really? Wow. Time's crazy. And just to think of the quality of people... You should be proud of yourself. You did so so much. People don't know who are listening. Um, This... This is it isn't free. She has to pay um, by the hour to have this show on. So she puts a lot of hard work and um, money into the putting this show up, and and I am grateful that she allows me to be in this show and other people. She uh-huh. and so she's done a lot, and so um, everyone listening just appreciate that all that she's doing. Two hundred shows. That's awesome. I know it's really something, and. You know, I think what I have is like turtle power and persistence. I think that's what keeps me going. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, tenacious, so I'll keep going no matter what, and uh, we're going to be able to talk to you about it more that uh, that night, too. So, um, you know, it'll be kind of extreme to really have that two-year anniversary. I can't really believe it, but, and I hope many more. And uh, we've been able to meet the most incredible people that we'd ever run across. Don't you agree, like... Oh, know, people that we admire and can't even believe. The first time Dr. Moody came on, we were like both stuck. Like we're like, oh man, we went into shock. <laughs> and just just learning how to use this um, technology and getting used to it all. And um, yeah, me and Shark can't see each other, so that's why sometimes we uh, we interrupt each other. We're we're guessing to see who can see. I know. We have, we no, have, we have no visual. We have no visual cues. So we do the best we can. Wow. But yeah, it's a so great, it's great. It, it, the kind of guests you have is just from the paranormal side, paranormal meaning, you know, ghosts and stuff like that, to the um, 
Yeah, the to UFO stuff varies from the from abduction phenomena to sightings. I mean, it's just been an amazing journey. Really, and uh, you, you're actually—I'm just so proud to have you on. And uh, you know, it's it's really given us opportunity to talk about things, and that um, we can express these things uh, that are actually—it's almost like we're we have been on this path and it's 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 actually turning into something. You know. At yeah. first we're just trying to escape the UFOs and aliens, you know. And then now, you know, it's more not I'm not embracing any aliens, but I'm just saying that now it's turned into uh inquiry, talking. And and that's really healthy. Yes. Yes, it it, it is and it's it, it's important because it's it's uh it's confusing, especially when one listens to the testimonies of the abductees. There's there's certain consistencies and there's certain inconsistencies. Also, with this research, so it's um, I guess we all bring our own perspective. But um, I think there has been progress. But I guess that's a, that'll be a top topic when um, I'll be in your show as a guest in the future. But I think there has been yeah. progress, and we're yeah. asking good questions. And there's some great people that are still in the field. Um, I do sadly miss. I, I miss people like Bud Hopkins, John Mack, Carla oh, Turner. Um, it's, it's, we sadly John Mack. Yeah, but on the positive side, we got some great people that are in there. We got you know George Knapp, mm-hmm. came, and um, uh, Catherine Friedman's still there. Bruce Mackey, you know, and Von Smith. So we still got some really cool people in there, and also of course our current guest, Peter Robin. Right. Yeah. So he's going to have his phenomenal did he give out his future URL? He, he, I know he said he's going to. He mentioned that he's going to have a website, but he didn't mention the URL. So maybe he's still working on it. I don't know. He doesn't have a website yet, but I know. Um, I gave the one where he's publishing that book for free. And let me see. I can't actually find. He said the best way to reach him is on Facebook. So yeah, it shows his, his yeah it shows his picture. So it would be. Uh, Peter Robbins, and uh, he's the one from Ithaca, and it's upstate New York. That's where he's from. So that's where you can find him. And that's yeah. about it. I got a you know early morning again. Now I do two groups in the morning, and the individual for so my first individual is at six, believe it or not. And then I have two groups following that, so um, I have to go to sleep pretty soon. So um, I really do want to thank you for your help, Adrian. You know, you're, you're a good, uh, you're it's, a good it's champion and a good friend and very intelligent. Oh, yeah. and, uh, thank you. Thank you. I okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll hang up so you can okay. make your last announcements. Okay, and, uh, thank you so much. Okay, okay I'll talk to you later. Take care. So. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. You okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so remember, next week we're having Ryan Katzenbach, and he's going to be talking about the Amityville Horror and uh, stuff like that, which I thought was very appropriate for Halloween. And I'm really looking forward to that interview. And I really want to wish you all, you know, uh, a very awesome week that, you know, you grow and and lean into your personal growth. And and we're all just trying to make it and move forward and have positivity in our life and everything else. It's it's really hard work. And uh, it's been very hard work for me the last couple weeks. But I, I'm telling you, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it. And 
we are delving into topics that are endlessly fascinating, and I really appreciate my listeners, and I want to thank you so much for listening in, and those in chat, and uh, those who are on the phone lines. I, I really appreciate it because we have people that listen over the phone. So uh, I will see you next week, same time, same station, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless, take care, and see you soon. Bye-bye.